morning. It is good to be back in the pulpit. Um, as uh, Marianne Thomas asked me last Sunday, she said, well, we know that Jamin can both lead in music and preach. Can you lead in music? And I said, no, I, I'm not a Renaissance man like Jamin is, um, but uh, very thankful for Jamin's um, aptitude to be able to continue to preach the Word and, uh, and teach us over this summer or last month the glories of the cross. Well, now we find ourselves back in the book of Acts, and we'll be in Acts chapter 18. <clears throat> and just by way of reminder, the book of Acts unfolds for us Christ's kingdom plan. And how through the bold proclamation of the gospel, communities of Jesus followers spring up, and we call them churches. If you were to sum up Acts, you could just say it this way. Acts is the story of how the church began, how it grew, and it explains how you and I got here today. It's the story of God's plan to reach the nations planting churches, and how the gospel has spread throughout the ends of the earth and lays for us a model for how we, too, are to continue the task until the Lord returns. Now, specifically in the book of Acts, a major part of this story is the ministry of the Apostle Paul. In fact, uh, it turns primarily to focus attention upon him, beginning in Acts chapter 13, when the church in Antioch sent out Paul and Barnabas, commissioned them to take the gospel to the surrounding nations. And if you've been paying close attention to the story, you've probably begun to realize, hey, the, the same thing keeps happening. Usually goes like this. Paul and whoever he's with, maybe it's Barnabas, Silas, Timothy, he arrives, he, he finds a, a synagogue on the Sabbath, and he preaches. He preaches there that Jesus is the Messiah and the Savior, the one who is, is going to bring about the kingdom, the one who will forgive you of all your sins if you trust in him. But Paul usually by this point gets kicked out. <laughs> he gets kicked out, but here's the irony, some join him. Some believe, and they follow him out of the synagogue. And then Paul goes out and he begins preaching to non-Jews. And in in Acts, we hear them, they're called Gentiles. And he does this until he gets run out of town. Sometimes he's been stoned. Other times he's hunted down. Other times he's been uh, snuck outside of a wall down a basket. He is running for his life literally out of town. But as a result of this ministry... Many believe, and a church is born, a church is birthed. And Paul then goes to the next town, and he's praying, and then he sometimes sneaks back around, and he he encourages these churches, and he disciples them. We even see this through the letters of Paul, Romans, 1 and 2 Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians. Paul's writing to these churches as he's been planting them. They're often coming out of very strenuous situations. Well, as we turn to Acts chapter 18 this morning, it won't surprise you that that's basically the gist of what happens here. Not much changes. However, even though that's the basic gist, 
each of these stories, as we begin diving into them just a little bit more, Luke inserts unique material, unique situations, unique circumstances that come out about uh, in Paul's typical missionary journey. And the point is, is that when we take note of these unique elements in the story, it's helpful for us that that's what God wants us to see. That's what God wants to press into our heart. Luke wants us to take note of so that as we, a church in the 21st century in Jeffersonville, Indiana, seek how are we to reach the community around us, we pick up on these things, not only watching Paul as a model example, but also seeing, oh, what is it going to take to fulfill the Great Commission in our lifetime? And by that, I don't mean that we necessarily individually us oak park reach every single nation but where do we fulfill our faithful calling as so long as we live and so as i begin reading we're going to look at acts chapter 18 verses 1 through 23 i'm going to read the passage for us but here's where i want to invite you read along with me not out loud in your mind uh, follow along And try to pick up what are the new things, what are the unique elements that Luke is drawing to our attention. And I'm going to share where I think these things are and we're going to dive into it this morning. Acts chapter 18 beginning in verse 1. After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. And he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontius, recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla. Because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. And he went to see them, and because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked, for they were tent makers by trade. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and tried to persuade Jews and Greeks. When Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul was occupied with the word, testifying to the Jews that the Christ was Jesus. And when they opposed and reviled him, he shook out his garments and said to them, Your blood be on your own heads. I am innocent. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. And he left there and went to the house of a man named Titius Justus, a worshiper of God. His house was next door to the synagogue. Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed in the Lord, together with his entire household. And many of the Corinthians, hearing Paul, believed and were baptized. And the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, Do not be afraid, but go on speaking, and do not be silent, for I am with you. And no one will attack you to harm you, for I have many in this city who are my people. And he stayed a year and six months teaching the word of God among them. But when Gallio was proconsul of Achaia, the Jews made a united attack on Paul and brought him before the tribunal, saying, This man is persuading people to worship God contrary to the law. When Paul was about to open his mouth, Gallio said to the Jews, If it were a matter of wrongdoing or vicious crime, O Jews, I would have reason to accept your complaint. But since it is a matter of questions about words and names and your own law, see to it yourselves. I refuse to be a judge of these things. And he drove them from the tribunal. And they all seized Sosthenes, the ruler of the synagogue, and beat him in front of the tribunal. But Gallio paid no attention to any of this. After this, Paul stayed many days longer, and then he took leave of the brothers and set sail for Syria. And with him, Priscilla and Aquila. At Sincrea, he had to cut his hair, for he was under a vow. And they came to Ephesus, and he uh, he left them there. 
But he himself went into the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. When they asked him to stay for a longer period, he declined. But on taking leave of them, he said, I will return to you if, the, if God wills. And he set sail from Ephesus. When he had landed at Caesarea, he went up and greeted the church and went down to Antioch. And after spending some time there, he departed and went from one place to the next through the region of Galatia and Phygeria, strengthening all the disciples. So did you pick out the unique parts? Like, I don't know. Are they the ones you have? Well, here's what I see. Reading this passage, there, there's lots of unique things. There's weird stuff. Paul cuts his hair because he's under a vow. What's that all about? Um, there, there's, there's different situations. Why is Sosthenes just ganged up on in the ruler of the synagogue and, and they beat him? What's going on there? There's all kinds of actually unique features in this passage. But there's two that are most dominant here, and, and I want to point these out to you. Number one, Luke shares the names of many people who were partners with Paul during his time in Corinth. Notice we don't so much see what Paul preached. We don't hear his sermons. It's actually what are the people doing around him. And then secondly, Luke, through the vision given to Paul, highlights the providence of God over Paul's life and his ministry. So taking these two things in consideration this morning, here's what I want to put forth to us. Acts chapter 18 helps us see that fruitful gospel proclamation takes, number one, teamwork, and number two, trust in the reality of God's providence. So if you're taking notes, you want to know what the point of the sermon is? Here it is. Here's the answer to the exam. Fruitful gospel proclamation takes teamwork and trust in the reality of God's providence. Let's look at this, and let's look particularly at this idea of teamwork. Throughout this passage, Luke introduces to us several individuals who link arms with Paul to support his ministry in Corinth. And I want you to see these individuals, and the first one we, we come across is in verses 1 through 4, and it is Aquila and Priscilla. If you've been reading your Bible, you've been a Christian for, for many years, maybe you, you recognize this couple. They, they pop up often throughout Paul's letters. You see them sometimes in the middle of the letter, but often at the end, you know that part you skip in your Bible reading that lists all the names you can't pronounce? They're usually tucked away right there. Priscilla and Aquila. And what we see with this couple is it seems that they are already believers before Paul gets there. We don't know when they came to faith in Christ. Uh, maybe they, they came to faith in, in Rome when the gospel came there. We know from the history of, of the church there that um, Paul didn't plant that church. Somebody else was there. Maybe possibly Peter had already gone to Rome. And, and maybe that's where they heard the gospel for the first time and believed. We also see that... that uh, says they're from a, a native of Pontius. Possibly it was there. We have evidence to believe. If you look in 1 Peter chapter 1, um, Peter talks about sharing the gospel in those areas. It's possible that they came to faith there. But what I want you to see that Luke tells us is that this couple was in the business of tent making. Now you might be thinking, you know, go to Dick's Sporting Goods, get your tent. I have one that's pretty amazing. You literally just throw it out there and it goes... Poof, Unfortunately, it doesn't put itself back in the bag. It's really easy to get out, but it's not really easy to put back together. That, that's not the type of tents that they were often building. 
The probably better understanding of their work would be leather making business, which often entailed making tents for soldiers, but even civilian life. They would have been making maybe shoes, um, but with the Corinth being a, a headquarters of something called the Ithmenian Games, kind of like the Olympics, they were probably busy because these games happen every other year making um, big um, canopies for different events. And, and they were busy in, in making those type of tents um, and, and serving their community. It would have been a bo- booming business for them. But Luke's purpose in introducing this couple is not so that we know what kind of business they're involved in. The reason for bringing it up is that Paul also was skilled in this trade. And they were able to link up. And particularly what Luke wants us to see is that this couple was committed to the mission. This was a believing couple, just an ordinary lay couple who had a business, but they were using it for the advancement of the gospel. And the way they did this was that Paul not only lives with them, but he begins working with them. Paul works with them to support himself, to to begin to, to make ends meet so that he's able to preach the gospel, stay in Corinth, and make Christ known there. But I want you to see more about this couple that we don't readily see here in these first four verses. This couple actually becomes very dear to Paul. We get a glimpse of it in verse 18. If you jump down there, after this, Paul stayed many days longer. Then he took leave of the brothers and set sail for Syria. But with him, Priscilla and Aquila. He ends up going towards Ephesus. And Priscilla Aquila, I guess they have a mobile business. And in fact, if we look at kind of where they are in all the places in Paul's letters, they're never in one spot. They're probably very affluent and they're able to travel around, got different headquarters to set up business, maybe for strategic times. But they go along with Paul and they become a partner with him. If you go over to 1 Corinthians, let's go there for a second. 1 Corinthians chapter 16. I want to take you to those spots that you usually skip over in your Bible reading. 1 Corinthians 16, particularly verse 19. This is what Paul says here. He says, the churches of Asia, that's where our Ephesus is at, Send you greetings. Aquila and Prisca, that's a shorter name for Priscilla, together with the church in their house, send you hearty greetings in the Lord. Not only was this couple housing Paul in Corinth, but when they came to Ephesus, they end up housing the whole church. They begin hosting. They use their resources to provide means for that church to meet. If you go back just one book to the book of Romans... End of that letter, look in chapter 16 there. Paul says a little bit more about them. Romans chapter 16, verse 3. Good at what he says. Now he's writing to Rome, and he says, Greet Prisca and Aquila, meaning they're now in Rome. And notice what he says about them. My fellow workers in Christ Jesus who risked their necks for my life. Okay, this is a little bit more personal. 
to whom not only I give thanks, but all the churches of the Gentiles give thanks as well. Greet also the church in their house. So here they are again. Looks like, hey, we'll help support the ministry. We've got resources. We're going to use them. And they opened up their home. Now notice Paul said, they risked their lives. They, they risked their necks for my life. What's Paul talking about? He's probably referring to his time in Ephesus, which Luke doesn't give us details here. But Paul speaks to the Corinthians about how in time, his time in Ephesus, he was given over to the wild beasts. Have you ever seen the movie Gladiator? In the gladiator arena, and they'd bring in those people, and they would literally be entertainment for the wild beast to come and destroy. Paul says he was thrown into the gladiator arena. Or at least he was going to be. Obviously, he survived it. I don't know how. He might have been a, a swordsman of such. Who knows? But it seems that Priscilla and Aquila also, in some ways, risked their life to save his. I don't know if they had connections, means, but they were all in. Not to mention the fact that they opened up their house for Paul to establish ministry, for the church to meet there, which had been risky business. Because if you look back in uh, just a few chapters in Acts chapter um, 17, another person had opened up their house, a man named Jason, and after Paul had caused a riot, a mob came to his house, dragged Jason and some of the brothers of the cities, shouting, These men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. You start associating with the work of God. You begin opening up your home to, to establish the church and let them use your house as a means of ministry. You start linking arms. You risk your neck, not only for Paul, but for the whole church. That's why Paul says to the, to the Romans that all the Gentiles thank, are thankful for them as well. Why is that? Here's the point that I want you to see. Paul's ministry was impossible apart from Priscilla and Aquila. From a couple who knew the Lord and said, we'll do whatever you need. We're here to serve the ministry. We're here to serve the church When I was in seminary, there was a family that I've I, I mentioned before, the Muxlow family. They had a, a construction business. And, and they also had kind of a, another side business where they sold materials for construction sites. And, and, and they hired me, along with several other seminary students, to work in their warehouse. And, uh, and I remember Davey telling me this. Um, he said, guys, I could never do what you all are training to do. I can't preach, I can't teach, I'm, I'm not an evangelist, but the Lord has given me my business, and here's what I can do. I can hire seminary students. I can pay you probably better than you can get paid anywhere else so that you can get through school, and I can help support the gospel going out throughout the world. That's a different mindset. And that's the mindset we see with Priscilla and Aquila. Hey, Paul, come on, help us out in the tent-making business. Help us out as we link arms in, in serving in the gospel. And so what we see here with Priscilla and Aquila is a people who use their, their means, their, their trade, their resources, and they say, whatever we need to do, it is all for the Lord's, and we are going to use it for proclaiming the gospel. 
That's the first couple that we see here. We jump down to verse 5. We see another set of individuals. We see here in verse 5, When Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul was occupied with the word, testifying to the Jews that the Christ was Jesus. I'll just make one note about this passage. When you read it, at least how the ESV renders it, it makes it sound like that when Silas and Timothy arrived, they saw Paul occupied. That he was already busy preaching the word. But really the idea here is more that he began to be occupied with the word when they arrived. The NIV really renders it more clearly. If you have the NIV, I'll read it here for us. NIV renders this, When Silas and Timothy came from Macedonia, Paul devoted himself exclusively to preaching. Teaching to the Jews that Jesus was the Messiah. And so what Luke is wanting to to see here is that Paul at one point, he's working as a tent maker. He's having to be bivocational. But when uh, Silas and Timothy arrive, he's now freed up to exclusively give himself to the task. Now why is that? Well, it's helpful having two more guys. Silas and Timothy were part of his missionary journey. As, you, as we've been going throughout Acts, surely he's got partners on the team that are able to divide the load, and now Paul is able to be freed up a little bit more. But more specifically, the idea that we get actually from Paul's letters is that Timothy and Silas brought with them funding. Timothy and Silas came And in other words, they now had funding to to work on the mission field, and Paul no longer had to work. And now he's able to exclusively give himself to the ministry. And I want you to see this. Go back to 2 Corinthians this time. 2 Corinthians. He's reflecting on his ministry there. I want you to see what he says in chapter 11, verses 8 through 9. So we'll jump at verse 7 because he's actually having to defend himself. You all probably find this interesting. That he didn't take money from them. And they're saying, well, you must not be a legit preacher because you didn't ask us for money. We usually look at it the opposite way. He says this in verse 7. Or did I commit a sin in humbling myself so that you might be exalted? Because I preach God's gospel to you free of charge? But notice how he was able to do this. I robbed other churches, not literally, (laughs) I robbed other churches by accepting support from them in order to serve you. And when I was with you and was in need, I did not burden anyone. For the brothers who came from Macedonia, who's that? Tylus and Timothy, supplied my need. Okay. So when they came, they they came and supplied his needs so he wouldn't have to ask this church for money. He could give his services of preaching the gospel free of charge. If you go over just a couple more books to the book of Philippians, Paul references them. And they're significant because guess where the Philippian church is? Macedonia. This is where Silas and Timothy had come from. And in Philippians chapter 4 verse 15, Look at what Paul says to them in commending them. Actually, I like starting up a little bit further. Let's go to verse 14. 
He says, yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians, you yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit of that increase to your credit. I have received full payment, and more I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gift you sought or sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. What do we see here? Partnership in ministry looks like churches, individuals in those churches giving to the ministry. And Paul notices this, and what is the result? He's now able to be fully occupied. By God's grace, this church has made it possible for for myself to be fully occupied in the preaching of the Word. We have Jamin being fully occupied to be able to give himself to the Word. Even uh, Joshua Page is able to give himself in students and children's ministry to give himself fully to the Word. And this is to your benefit. And so what we see here is that your faithful giving supports the gospel ministry, just like we're seeing, not only in Priscilla and Aquila, but uh, Silas and Timothy bringing the gifts of a church in Philippi. This is why the Scripture exhorts us, brothers and sisters, to be good stewards. You heard Kirby and I talking about the new discipleship classes. Um, We're going to have different categories of classes ranging from um, Bible, theology and history, spiritual disciplines, marriage, family and relationships, fundamentals. And in that spiritual disciplines category, in the second quarter, we're going to have a class called biblical stewardship. How do I manage not just my money, but all my resources for the kingdom? What does God tell me about how I manage my stuff? And here's a great definition of what it means to be a biblical steward. Managing God's blessings, God's way for God's glory. Let me say that again. Managing God's blessings, God's way for God's glory. And what we're seeing here, at least in the the fruit of it, is that the church in Philippi understood that. They were giving, they were managing the blessings that God had given them God's way so that they could do it for God's glory. And if you're a member of the church, that's expected of you as well. If you're a guest, we don't expect that of you. But if you're a member, you said, I am linking arms with the ministry of Oak Park Baptist Church to fuel the proclamation of the gospel, not only here in Jeffersonville and southern Indiana and in our nation, but around the globe as we begin, we, we support missionaries all over the world. It is this faithful giving and being a biblical steward that enables this to happen. So what does this look like? I don't have time to really dive into it too much, but I encourage you to go to Paul's letters to the, to the Corinthians, both 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians. Because he gives principles for giving, and I'm just going to give these three to you, encourage you to write them down. To be a good steward, at least with your finances, looks like this. Being thoughtful in your giving, 2 Corinthians 9-7. What does that mean? Being thoughtful in your giving. Being, uh, giving out of conviction because you realize that you're a manager of God's blessings and you're to do it God's way. You are under conviction. I need to give. You, you've thought about it. It's not flippant. 
Even those of you who do give, do you think about it? Does, does, is it an act of worship? Is it, is it part of your routine that on Sunday morning, oh yeah, yeah, here, just a few dollars and throw it in there? Or are you thinking, no, I'm giving for this purpose. Not just because God expects of it, me of it, but because this fuels gospel ministry. So number one, being thoughtful in your giving. Number two, being regular in your giving. 1 Corinthians 16, 2. Paul exhorts the church in Corinth on the first day of the week to bring their offerings. Number three, being sacrificial in your giving. 2 Corinthians 8, 1 through 15. A little bit longer. But Paul exhorts the Corinthians. He says, I did not uh, take any money from you. Other churches supported me so that I could be a blessing to you. And now you need to start being a blessing to others. And he's instructing them on how they need to start giving to the ministry. And so what does it look like? It means being thoughtful in your giving, being regular in your giving, and being sacrificial in your giving. That it costs you because you're not living for today. You're living for something greater. I want you to notice, though, that biblical stewardship is more than just giving. When we looked at Priscilla and Aquila, they, they were using all sorts of resources, all the blessings, their trade, their house, their means. And you might be saying, well, I'm not as affluent as Priscilla and Aquila. The things that I can give aren't that significant. Yes, they are. Because as we're going to see a little bit more, and we're going to have to speed it up, but each of you has been sovereignly placed where you are. Maybe you don't have a place to live that you could house the whole church. I don't think anybody here does. Or a community group. Or a Bible study. But you know what? You live next door to somebody in that apartment complex that none of us can talk to because we don't live there, but you do. You're strategically put there. If you're a student, you might be saying, oh, this is all adult talk. No, it's not. You're a student and you're able to go behind the walls of the schools, which none of us else can go in there. And you're able to reach fellow classmates with the gospel. Maybe you're on a soccer team or another sports team or you've got some extracurricular activities. You're put there. Your giftedness to be able to do those things are actually avenues for you to steward God's blessings, God's way for His glory. Do you think like that, students? Do you think like that, mom and dad? Are you modeling it so your kids say, oh yeah, that's what it looks like for living for the kingdom of God? Or do they look at you and they're going to follow you and, it looks, and they're going to say, oh, that's what it looks like to live for myself. We see another individual here in the text. Verse 7, we're introduced to a man named Titius Justus. Paul's now able to preach the gospel fully without hindrance. He's, he's not having to do this part-time. He's, he's able to do it full-time. And in verse 6, look what happens once he's able to really get to work. They opposed and reviled him. And he shook out his garments and said to them, Your blood be on your own hands, I am our own heads, I am innocent. Meaning, I've been able to fully preach to you the gospel. You cannot claim that no one shared the truth with you. I will not be held accountable. Now I'm gonna go. He's kicked out of the synagogue and he goes to the Gentiles. But here's this this amazing thing that happens. He left there and he went to the house of a man named Titius Justus, a worshiper of God. Now guess where Titius' house was? Next door. <laughs> All right, I'll get out of here. Walks out. Probably some came with him. We'll, we'll set up post right here. We're next door. And they begin preaching the gospel. Why is he able to do that? Because someone opened up their home. 
probably this individual had just become a believer in Christ and says, okay, here's what I've got. Okay, that'll work. Let's work to, to do this in the gospel. And as a result, Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed the Lord together with his entire household. And many of the Corinthians, hearing Paul, believed and were baptized. Paul's now able to continue to preach the gospel. And as a result, the leader, the ruler of the synagogue, ends up believing. And who knows, maybe he initially was part of the crew that says, you get out of here. But every day, because someone provided a means, Paul was able to be preaching and everyone heard. And as you saw... An individual comes to faith in Christ. So what is it about these individuals? Are they extraordinary? Are are they off the chart Christians? Probably not because Titius Justice probably just came to faith in Christ. We're going to see a man named Sosthenes. He gets beaten and probably has just come to faith in Christ. What is it about them that causes them to give their life for the gospel and the ministry of proclamation. It's that they live for the kingdom to come. I want to see this more vividly. Paul's letter to the Corinthians. Again, let's go over there to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Just look at a few verses here. Paul's been talking about relationships, what to do if you're married to an unbeliever, what to do if you're widowed. But towards the end, he gives kind of a summary. And in verse 29, I want you to see it. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 29. He's teaching them how to think through their relationships with an eternal perspective. You can approach relationships with a worldly perspective, living for yourself, living for today. But Paul says, I want you to think of it differently. And this applies to how we conduct ourselves in every facet of our life. Paul says this in verse 29, This is what I mean, brothers. The appointed time has grown very short, meaning the end of the world, basically. Now you say, man, that's, it's been 2,000 years. Yeah, but in the span of God's purposes, you know, a thousand years is like a day, and a day is like a thousand years. But he goes on, he says, From now on, let those who have wives live as those they had none. And those who mourn as though they were not mourning. And those who rejoice as though they were not rejoicing. And those who buy as though they had no goods. And those who deal with the world as though they had no dealings with it. For the present form of this world is passing away. Now he's not just saying, now all you go get a divorce. All of you go out and, and if you're happy, become sad. And if you're sad, don't be happy. Uh, he's not saying hey don't go buy anything and make yourself poor what he's doing here is he's saying don't live like the world does that sets their whole life around these things because we are people of the age to come of the kingdom to come Paul's point is not to abdicate your responsibilities but rather his point is to remind us that this world is passing away. Are you building up treasure on earth, Jesus said, where the thief can come break in and steal or are you building treasure which is in heaven? That's exactly what Paul is talking about here. How do you approach every area of your life? Are you only thinking about this world or do you have the world to come in mind? Because this world is passing away. 
And if Paul had CNN, Fox News, MSNBC, he'd say, just turn on the TV and just look at the destruction. This world is broken. What are you living for? There's another element in this text. Not only does gospel proclamation take teamwork, take people who understand that they are not living for this world, but they're living for the world to come. They're living to make Jesus known. But it's going to take trusting the providence of God, and this won't take as long. If you come back to Acts chapter 18, see all these good things happening. But then the Lord comes to Paul in verse Nine and said to Paul one night in a vision, do not be afraid. Why, why is he afraid? You've got all these partners, all these people linking arms. Why are you afraid? And I think what Paul would say was, how this typically goes is I'm about to get stoned tomorrow. When things get too busy, when too many people believe, the, the Jews and the, and the people will come and they'll create a mob and they will attack me, Lord. And I've done this in every town that I have visited, and frankly, I am worn out. But the Lord says to him, go on speaking, do not be afraid, go on speaking, do not be silent, for I am with you. And no one will attack you to harm you, for I have many in this city who are my people. And when we jump down to verse 12, what happens? When Galileo was proconsul, the suggestion here is that he was there for a period and new leadership came up politically. The Jews made a united attack on Paul. What, God? You just said that wouldn't happen. And they brought him, literally, that's probably better translated, dragged him, laid a hand on him, dragged him to the court. Paul's, what's Paul having to do when trouble arises? Trust the Lord. The Lord's told me he's not done with me here but it certainly looks like this isn't going to go well. But Paul has to trust the providence of God. And Paul's about to open his mouth, give his own defense, but Gallio steps in and he says, I don't want to have anything to do with your all's little religious squabble. You all take care of this yourself. You're talking about names, Moses and David. I don't know who these guys are. I'm not going to step into your religious affairs. You all just take care of yourself. And what is significant here in the providence of God is this is what happens. The government doesn't step in and say that Christianity is a false form or a legal form of religion. This is huge. The case has been brought forth and basically the case has been dismissed. This sets up gospel proclamation further on. Now you've got the government saying it's okay. We here in the States have had that blessing, which is a unique thing. The government might not be for us, but they're not exactly against us. They're just like, just get out of our way. But no one's coming in here saying you cannot worship, you're doing things illegal, at least not yet. And this is exactly what happens in the providence of God, trusting what God is doing, even in raising up Galileo in this situation, provided gospel opportunity. And here he has done the very same thing in America. For nearly 200 years, we've been able to proclaim the gospel free we shouldn't take it for granted. That doesn't mean the government's for us, because in verse 17, they all see Sosthenes, the ruler of the synagogue. Oh, I thought Crispus was the ruler of the synagogue. Maybe they replaced him because Crispus became a Christian. 
Now there's a new one, and it looks like he's probably been friends with Paul. And so they say, this is your fault, and they beat him. Now how do I know that? You don't need to turn there, but when Paul greets the church in Corinth, when he writes his letter, he says, I, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, and Sosthenes, your brother. Sosthenes goes with Paul, and wherever Paul is writing this letter, Sosthenes is with him, linking arms. That wouldn't have happened if Sosthenes hadn't gotten beaten. God's providence is all over this. Aquila and Priscilla, why are they in Corinth? Because Claudius had made a decree that all the Jews leave Rome. Oh, so even the bad things that happen, God's in control and actually furthers the gospel? Yes. So even as we look at our world and we're looking at turmoil and and all the things happening, here's where we can rest assured that God's providence is working. And that he is making it possible for us to preach the gospel. And so here's the, here's the truth to take away, is, is that if God is going to do something through us, no one can stop us. And you won't die till God's done with you. And this church won't die till God's done with it. And that should be incredibly freeing that we hear the same things that Paul heard, go on speaking and do not be silent. We link arms. Because we're gospel-minded people, mission-centered people, not living for today. And we say, we're going to keep on speaking and we will not be silent. There's another element for Paul. The Lord's reminding Paul, I've called you to this. You're my instrument to take the gospel to the Gentiles. I've carried you through this the whole time. You've seen my work through you. You don't have to fear. The same things happen in the life of this church. We need to rest in the providence of God and calling us to Jeffersonville. Some of you are here because things went bad and you had to move here. You had a job move you here. Maybe you're a seminary student and you've come and you think, hey, I'm just going to pour myself in the books. No. Yeah, you need to do that. But you also need to start pouring in and getting involved in ministry. But I want us also to keep things in perspective. This church has been around for a little over 60 years. You know where it started? I don't know if Theo's here. It started in Theo Baker's garage. A man just like Titius Justice who said the church could meet here. Ray and Jackie Jackson, both have gone to be with the Lord. Theo was cutting Ray's hair and didn't charge him because he wasn't looking to make a buck, but he was going to keep him coming so he can keep sharing the gospel with him. And Ray came to faith in Christ. But it's interesting, when I did Ray's funeral, I found out the reason Ray kept coming to church was because he felt bad because he wasn't paying for the haircuts. (laughs) (laughs) But the Lord was using a gospel-minded individual. Think of Pat and Gracie Boggs were involved in, in in the early stages of this church. You all remember this. We're now two generations down, and look at how different. From the garage to 1111 Allison Lane. Thinking less in Virginia Albro have used their resources to, to help funnel missions, not only at this church, but also through the state. And those are just a few names. I'm sure I've missed people. Brothers and sisters, we're, we're, just, we're just taking the baton, and we're running 
And we need to make sure we're faithful not to drop it. And we're just to be preparing for the next generation to pass it on and doing the very same things that these uh, godly men and women, couples, lay couples, did to serve the gospel. Because just like Paul said, all the Gentiles are thankful for Priscilla and Aquila, all you should be thankful for these individuals who gave their time, their resources, their money to lay down the foundations for this church and preachers to come in and preach. I'm just in the next rung. The Lord will have me here till I die or whatever. And then he'll have the next one. And same thing for you. Do we have that perspective? Well, that's what we see in Acts chapter 18. Fruitful gospel proclamation comes through teamwork and trusting the providence of God. Let us remember that as we continue in worship. Let's pray. Lord, I'm thankful for those who've gone before us, for all the life circumstances here in this room. You've, you've brought us at different times, different circumstances. And Lord, we're literally standing on the shoulders of those faithful saints before us who've endured. And Lord, I'm sure if we sat and listened to the stories of story after story of story of your goodness, your providence, and how individuals linked arms and gave to the ministry, not just their money, but their lives. Lord, I pray that we would not live in ignorance to the sacrifices made by others. Lord, what should we do? We should just consider ourselves just stewards, managers of your blessings, and that we would do it your way for your glory. We pray these things in your name. Amen. Let's stand and let's sing. Oh, church, arise and put your armor on. Hear the call 